You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Brand Engagement and Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. Today we're going to be talking about Gen Z fashion and retail trends, specifically when it comes to the use of new tech tools that encourage more conscious consumerism. To discuss this, I'm joined by the founder of one of these very tools, Hasna Kurda. Hasna is the CEO and co-founder of digital wardrobe app Save Your Wardrobe, a personal management tracker app charting users' fashion behaviors with the goal of stemming mindless consumption. I'm also joined by Katie Barron, Stylus's Director of Brand Engagement. Welcome to you both. So Hasna, first of all, could you tell us about Save Your Wardrobe and how it works? Sure. So Save Your Wardrobe is a digital wardrobe management platform where we connect our users to the content of their wardrobe, but also to a set of localized service providers like eco-friendly dry cleaning, repairs, alterations, donation, anything related to the management of the wardrobe. And uh, the point is to extend the life of garment. So the the platform is, is based on technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning, where we, through image recognition we we can categorize and identify the the features of a of a clothes and through email parsing where we collect all of the receipts online receipts that were made for a purchase and create instantly a first version of people's wardrobe and on the back of that we we have insight recommendation engines that will tell users how they are um, interacting with their wardrobe and uh, and the items of clothing they are uh, they own and uh, and the idea is to build a recommendation engine for the right service at the right time fantastic so this sort of this sort of tool is one that can help i suppose as you've said in the past, help consumers be the best version of themselves. Can you explain a little bit about why you think that and how that would work? Yeah, so the tracking part is is something that people have in their lifestyle, in their day-to-day lifestyle through their finance app or through their fitness app. So there is a really this uh, trend to being willing to to know how one is behaving and uh, and quantifying it. So this is where Savior Wardrobe is really positioning the user-facing app with those quantification uh, tools and uh, insight recommendation engine that we are building on the back end. Um, and it answers the need of understanding past behaviors and how, making better decisions in the future towards a more sustainable or streamlined sustainable living. Can I ask Kasma, do you think, if you don't mind me jumping in, Christian, do you think that these kind of tools are making people actually think differently about themselves? Because something that we've discussed before that I find fascinating is that, you know, initially when people talk about tracker apps, people just think it's almost a kind of quite black and white binary. Oh, well, it's good to see what you've got in your wardrobe or what you've got in your bank account. But actually, you know, we, we quite often, you know, when we're confronted with those things it actually makes us realize that maybe we're not quite the person we thought we were or that our behaviors yeah. aren't they don't tally with how we would like to be seen have you seen exactly. that with the way that 
the atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a reflective exercise with with digitalizing the wardrobe, and and people often are shocked. And this is also a feedback that we've we've heard many times. Is I'm shocked to to learn that I have this many items, or to learn that I have not worn this, or even realize forgot about this that I have in my wardrobe. So it there's a big. Uh, discrepancy between what we think we are the way we are thinking we are behaving and the, the actual facts and that acts like a, a night opener and are willing to even more take resolutions and take make better actions towards a, a certain goal so yeah definitely the the part where be, um, there's the projections of ourselves that is different from uh, what we are doing in real life I mean, you said something super interesting to me the other week when you said that you felt that people were using the app in a way to kind of create these personas, which is something I hadn't really thought about because, you know, they're not necessarily doing anything creative on the app. You know, they're browsing or they're wishlisting or they're using services. But the fact that you said with young people, because obviously we're focusing yeah. on young people today, you said that they, you, you feel like they're using this to kind of create their own hero identities. Exactly. Or yeah. Step away from their families or their you know to kind of carve out themselves could I'd love to talk about that a bit more so this is something I I was really intrigued to see so when when we compared millennials or older generation to gen z ways of digitalizing the wardrobe we've noticed that gen z's were putting a lot of effort and creative ways into arranging an item and putting it putting it in the best light possible, whereas millennials and older uh, uh, generations would just put it uh, on the bed and take a picture and move on. There is a big effort in styling and uh, posing or sourcing the right picture to make sure that the wardrobe looks at its best in in this digital environment. It's uh, as if there is a curation uh, of what makes the cut into the digital wardrobe and uh, and anything that doesn't fit that ideal image would be either donated or put aside or maybe they they would add a little bit more time and effort into repairing or visible mending or any other strategies for them to to bring back that item in that ideal image of themselves or that narcissistic projections in uh, in their wardrobe and the digital environment. So let's talk a little bit about how, how does the app sort of help help consumers be a bit more conscious about the way that they consume? So the first thing is obviously the quantifications and that reflective uh, exercise. But then we've received an overwhelming request for upskilling and empowering themselves with the right classes of repairs, mending. But also they they want to be able to associate old clothes and vintage clothes and thrifted clothes with with new brands. And uh, we've launched uh, a month ago a tab in in the wardrobe that it's called Empower Your Wardrobe. And uh, it was born by a, an overwhelming demand for people to, I want to do more and I want Save Your Wardrobe to help me achieve more than just better purchases or sustainable purchases. They actually, uh, a lot of our users see Save Your Wardrobe as a platform and uh, and want to, to use the, the Save Your Wardrobe app. As a, as a way to galvanize an action and, and come together. So this is something that we also host in, in Zoom panels for our community and give them a platform to be vocal about uh, what they want. 
I'm just going to ask Kesna, um, it's really interesting that you talk about this idea of, you know, you've got these micro communities coming through with this app. With, I mean, with, with Gen Z, do you feel like there is a sense of, you know, do, how, how important is, one of the things we were talking about before with, you know, you've got this micro community, everybody's online. How important is it uh, for these communities that there is a sense of, you know, what do they really want from, from the brands that don't, they're dealing with in this space? You know, are they looking for under the radar brands? Are they looking for these big mega brands? Are they looking for, is it all about the hunt? Is it about, you know, how, how are these kind of micro communities starting to function? Because I, I only ask because I think you're, you're very different to a kind of traditional e-commerce marketplace, yeah. even, though, even though you are e-commerce to an extent. Yeah. So we see lots of brands input in the, in the wardrobe that are, that are micro brands. So I've never heard about them. And even when I look at them, they are very localized and, and they are very close to their clients. And, and this is something that translates as well in the macro and lots of Gen Zs especially want to have, to make their, their purchasing worth and, and support local or small designers and and it's very exciting because they they bring a, a deeper relationship to that brand because they feel like they are part of their story and they're encouraging them through their purchasing power also the other side is that the way they interact with brand is no longer about style or so we discussed about the monogamy of brands and having only and lo- that loyalty that that used to be the case pre-COVID, and I remember a lot, many brands were pushing for total looks, and now there's a kind of crisis, I'm not talking of, obviously about the global pandemic, but the crisis in trust with brands, where they, they, they are more looking into what this brand, brand is standing for, and how can I be part of, of that movement, and, and so we work with brands, and we are supporting them into better knowledge of, of the customers, and also, something that is highly requested is as well bringing that relationship post transaction, and at, when it as while it stops at at the phase of uh, selling something, users are requesting to have this conversation last for longer, and okay. expect the brands to accompany them or to come with them into that uh, intimate space that is their wardrobe so the that's that's where savvy wardrobe is also positioning them uh, ourselves we are positioning ourselves in in supporting brands in that link between the the time where someone buys something and what happens after that how can they encourage this relation deeper relationship closest relationship with their uh, generation and yeah. Very few brands have managed to 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 keep that total look thing, yeah. not because the style is nice or the the items are matching, but because they feel like they are the the they are projecting value or projecting the sense that the brand is doing something towards that movement and towards that what is and more I, important. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think you know you know the idea of the total look doesn't work for many reasons. A because people don't really shop in that way. But also because now we're kind of seeing seeing this idea of kind of even individual items having their own audience, you know, and, and the way that a tracker kind of concept like yours works is that actually those individual items, you know, you will be able to see 
where was that item worn last? What are the kind of eco-ethical yeah. traits of that yeah. item? So people really, all of a sudden, you will kind of have fan bases around a whole item rather than a yeah. brand, which is a really yeah. different way of looking at it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, selling and connecting for brands. The one thing I was going to just ask you about that idea of the sort of post-purchase opportunity because I again I think that's a big mindset shift for brands brands have always thought about how to market stuff and then maybe good customer service whilst they're trying to sell you something but the after questions I mean what do you think are the kind of key the key ways for people to keep connecting is it via is it via these services where you can have things repaired or recycled or is it other types of conversations and if it is other types of conversations what kind of what should brands be doing do you think I think there are two things brands should do. So the first one is obviously keeping that conversation beyond the transaction and supporting with aftercare, repairs, also after reselling. And this conversation should happen and is at the center. And brands needs to know as well how the sense of ownership has changed. And it goes really naturally after the, you know, the, the, the personalization. So brands are putting a lot of effort in personalizing the experience, whether it's in store or online. And, and the younger generation are taking a different so Gen Z's are taking a different approach to ownership. It's not really about rental or buying secondhand, which, by the way, is at the highest point of, of their buyer by, by hierarchy. But they, for them, the, the, the ownership goes with putting the, the, their own identity on top of the, the, the new purchased item. So it goes with personalization, customization, and those small things that would make the, that item one of a kind. And yeah. that's, I think, why hunting for thrift, thrifted things and thrifted luxury things is, is gaining this, this big momentum. It's, there's a thrill. So at the beginning, we thought that the friction was something that we really didn't want to, to, to have in the app. And we wanted the smooth experience, instant gratification, having the wardrobe instantly in the, in the wardrobe. But actually, our, uh, the, we have the feedback that that friction is part of the experience, is part of what makes it more differentiated from the fast fashion and putting time, yeah. investing time in, in searching for <coughs> something that nobody else would have or searching yeah. for something that is completely translating what, who they, the, the customer is and uh, what they stand for is extremely important and is part of the experience. So I think that, that this is a completely new generation that have other priorities and have a, a different that is completely contradictory between their parents or their uh, older siblings yeah. that value um, that value the, the the time and and the fact that they they it's not fast fashion it's something that i've put thought and time into do you know what i was going to say i think this is such a fascinating conversation to be to be having right now kind of as we're kind of on the cusp of 2021 because like you said, I, for me, when people talk about Gen Z, very often it's in quite simplistic terms. It's a bit one dimensional. People say they're all very activists. They're all very, you know, they care about the environment. They care about this. Not, not to say those things aren't true, but they're missing some of the other conversations about the priorities and what they will value in these spaces. And it's interesting when you talk about the friction, because I think yes. something that Christian and I kind of talk and write about a lot is, you know, 
the metaverse, going into these virtual spaces where you can interact, yeah. you can share, you'll be able to buy things, have conversations, spaces where you can spend a longer time. And I think obviously the pandemic has accelerated it, but it was happening anyway. That idea that being able to kind of spend time online and actually kind of the more time you invest makes it feel more special. And I feel like, I mean, I know that you have luxury and mainstream brands on your platform, but yeah. particularly going into into the new space, this friction that you're talking about, I think a lot of brands really need to take that on board that actually, you know, like if you, if we talk about the, the, the hunting for vintage pieces, I was speaking to somebody from a brilliant resales business, the Her Collective, a couple of days ago, and they were talking about, you know, establishing more vintage sellers, et cetera, et cetera, but saying, actually, it's quite a, quite a saturated marketplace vintage itself yes. so actually with that it's going to be very much thinking about you know if you're hunting things down if somebody in your your platform is is searching for vintage pieces who are the people they're going to have the conversations along the way you know how, what are they going to learn what that are they going to be able to upskill themselves it's not only about shopping but will they come to the end of that journey and find out yeah. that actually maybe they're going to be a vintage dealer a bit like yeah. being a, a yogi and realizing actually you're going to do teacher training i feel like it's yeah. those sorts of conversations um it's so fascinating yeah. yeah it's going to be to be important and also how services can connect with each other so the vintage part is extremely uh, interesting and just like you mentioned it's saturated but what is interesting as well to see is is the kind of uh, hunger hung, uh, hunger for for taking that vintage piece that is already one of a kind into the next level and have it yeah. completely redesigned and completely for for yourself and no no anyone else not anyone else and uh, and that part is also what brings higher value not only sentimental value value to the piece yeah. but also if they want to resell it or they want to put it in the market for a secondary market later that yeah. uh, that pieces will gain more value and this is something that Gen Z have understood and they uh, and it's completely in con in opposition to to any uh, of the other trends that we saw in the past. Yeah, it's a little bit like, it's a bit kind of the idea of brandalism, isn't it? I mean, I was looking at a concept last night because I was looking at the evolution of customization. And there was a really interesting company called the Custom Movement. And basically what they're doing is they're getting sneakers, mostly like, you know, Nike and Vans and people like that. And they've got artists, some of them, you know, like anywhere between about 40 artists that are basically, I mean, you could call it customizing or you could call it bastardizing these yeah. big brand shoes. And they're yeah. selling them and they probably average they sell for like $250, but they're selling a lot of stuff for like $1,000 or even $2,000 on that side. Yeah. And it was interesting looking at the comments from the founder because they sort of said there was this desire to reclaim Mm. those products from those big corporate monoliths so these are people that yeah. are also fans of nike and vans exactly. but they're also fans of the people even more so that are taking those and remixing it and making their own exactly. so it's super interesting and i think you know we, we talk about this kind of thing a lot but a lot of brands a bit like with resales when mm. brands were like they kind of wanted to ignore that it was happening and push it aside because if they weren't people weren't buying the new product they didn't want to entertain there was something mm. else going on. So it's yeah. interesting to talk about that idea of, of brandalism, whether it's, you know, people getting involved in events or apps or the actual products itself. Mm. So super fascinating, yeah. I think.
Absolutely, and it's really also to see the, the the appetite for it and how the prices are going. So, for example, there is a company that we featured in in the app called Rebirth, and they're completely reinventing the vintage space. They source a uh, high brand, high end brand, and and they add their their kind of touch to it. And and some jackets that you can buy new for half of the price they are managing to be sold out at three times the price of, of that new jacket yeah. um, so th- this is also a testimony of what gen z's are looking for and yeah. what they are re- willing to pay to to put their stamp or, or their identity in newly bought stuff whether it's especially vintage so new new for them <laughs> Something that you mentioned that fascinated me was when we last spoke was about people like new versus hunting for things that people had this like nostalgic attachment to. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that's it? That's a thing because obviously a lot of brands they're like really divided between we've got archival stuff we have you know but obviously selling new product is especially mm-hmm. for luxury for Gen Z is, is the mainstay of what they do. Tell me about that kind of hunting for things that were like the things that were attached to you know you yeah. when you were twenty or. 19 or whatever exactly so that value of patience and 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 planning are more important than the compulsive and in spontaneous purchases so the the part where they expect waiting for something to be restocked or looking for it and that time spent is part of their strategies to 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 fight and part of their strategy to to be more sustainable and and one of the the our users saying uh, I didn't have my my size in that pair of sustainable brand shoe, but I, it's okay. I will wait for it, and that time uh, where I will wait for it, that builds up the thrill to 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 get it, and and also is is in the opposition of fast fashion and instant gratification as well. So it's uh, the the hunting part, the looking, and uh, that animal kind of uh, reflex into into finding the, that one of a kind piece is is at the core of the the shopping and consuming uh, behaviors are there anything because this is very much about gen z is there anything in terms of really you know you have this visibility on gen z that most people don't because most people just do focus groups but they're not looking at real behaviors yeah. what has been the, in the kind of since you launched uh, save your wardrobe a few years ago What's been the most surprising? Are there any habits that are really surprising where we can kind of myth bust a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so that friction one it was one of the, the most surprising behavior and also uh, that hunt for education and uh, activism is also something that, and when it comes to loyalty to brands, that com- that is completely volatile. So there is no more such there is no such thing as loyalty anymore. There, there is a, vo- a high volatility, especially with the rise of secondary markets and people buying and selling. And uh, but on the other side, if especially with with social media, whenever a brand is called out, there is there is a big uh, kind of uh, boycott. But the, again, the thing that can that brands can do to build up that loyalty is to really get closer to their, their user, their customers, and and provide solutions to or services to to build that loyalty 
apart from the transaction and apart from coming back. And we are working with a brand that I'm not sure I'm allowed to, to mention, but it's a, a big sustainability brand. They have over 600,000 people following them on Instagram and, and they're extremely into sustainability. And what they what they are looking for, uh, and it's really pioneering, is how they are they can provide tools to the the customers to re-engage with them, to follow the the and track the end of life or the the, the post purchase life of the, the the of the the clothing and get super close and be agile in how they can communicate at the right time and avoid. The, the, the last moment when everything is, is panic, the, the customer is about to, to make a big complaint. So yes. this is, I'm extremely interested in, in how they, in, not interested, but very excited to see how uh, we can support this brand. Uh, in, so so uh, in that. Yeah. So ultimately, in a way, I know this is going to be hard work for brands and not, so not music to everybody's ears. Yeah. But ultimately, it's almost like that thing about, you know, saying relationships, friendships take hard work. You've got exactly. you have to kind of and you have different friend types of friendships with different yeah. people. So whether you are offering services, whether it's showing you how to be a better consumer because you can see that ethical impact of your clothes whether it's showing you how to actually co-create clothes whether it's showing you how to upskill or style or whether even maybe giving you opportunities to show your own creative prowess on whatever level it's going to have to be about those conversations moving forward and that's the only way to create loyalty I think also looking at the data and the potential of the data behind it, it's also, of course, providing those services, but learning from that and pushing forward to to more personalized services thanks to that data that they gathered. And what we are building is, we call it user DNA. And this part is where where we help brands know how volatile is is one of their customers, how eco-conscious they are, how they access to, to this type of services compared to the others. So someone who would buy something from them and keep repairing it and keep cherishing yeah. and also adding that personalized custom, customization will have more loyalty to that brand and, and be willing to, to listen to them rather than someone who from the same brand would buy and sell and, and will shift to, to, the, to the next trend as, as soon as they, they, they see it on Instagram or on social media. So yeah. that user DNA part is very important. So keeping the conversation with the customer beyond the transaction, but also learning from those behaviors and, and being agile uh, in their strategy to, 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 to commit or to implement new, new strategies. So, so almost like forensic levels of personalization. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One very quick question. I'll keep this really short. Because this might be a good one, Christian, to slip in, depending on Hasna's answer. <laughs> um, I, on your site, do you have you do you think there's any such thing as trends really anymore? Depends who you're looking at. If we keep the the, the lens on the Gen Z, no, it's straightforward. There is no such thing as trends, or actually maybe longer trends, so less seasonal, uh, more capsule collection, or drop drop uh, drops but there is a big separation from from those fast fashion primark purchases that uh, that every day or every week you go shop there's yeah 
Good but if you look at the other people, other in the in the wardrobe, I can see uh, I can see other behaviors. But if you are focusing on Gen Z, this is this is before COVID. Well, I thought that might be an interesting answer. No trends, Christian. I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. It wasn't something you were expecting. No. no, it's good. I mean, it's good. Like, it's it's the perfect revelation. I was like, superb. No, there is no such thing as trends. Like, that's the kind of provocative answer we love. But then obviously slightly awkward being a trend in relations and insights business. Um, but maybe we can reframe that, you know. Yeah. I do think that's super interesting, though, that for luxury, for Gen Z, all that discussion about, you know, personalization and wanting to reclaim the experience, wanting to reclaim the product, the idea that that actually does mean that there really isn't any such thing as, as you know, seasons and trends is really, really important. Because actually that might be for me, and I've been writing about this this, this week, that might be a big differentiator for luxury, that actually yeah. trends trends are for the mainstream and, and, no, and, and you know, jettisoning trends is, is where luxury will, will be, I think. Yeah. And especially with drop co- collections and that those capsule, there is a finite amount they can put in the market. And so it goes back to the hunting and being the first one to own it or being the first one or one of the only ones to own that part. And uh, it's extremely va- uh, valoris- valuable for, for yeah. uh, those one, who are. Yeah. Super, that's so interesting. It really is. Thank you, Hasna. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Christian. It was no, no, it's fine. You wanted to hear. <laughs> I do you know what, though, Christian. I do. I do think it's really important because we do. Because Hasna, we do all the time. We're always trying to talk about what does luxury really mean in the future. And for me, loads of people talk about luxury just in terms of strategies that are actually quite universal strategies. So I'm always trying to kind of work out what sorts the wheat from the chaff. You know, what sorts yeah. the luxury from the mainstream. Also, and that I, I think is really important. If Sorry, I can yes. just add uh, two different ways of approaching luxury. There is the traditional luxury, like Cartier, like big houses, big fashion houses that <coughs> uh, Chanel or Hermès that put the prices high every time. And that's yeah. the friction. That's how they see the friction. So not being very democratic or elitistic more than uh, anything else. And then there's the 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 other types of luxury where it's a small community that have access to that and and that is completely part of who they are and they the 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 identity is 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 very aligned with with their consumers and they are very close to them and listening to them so this is another type of luxury that and that is exclusive in a in a different way yeah i just before we go i was going to mention i spoke to a founder of a guy of a company called the list which was really interesting in that respect, because I'm looking at this idea of sort of semi-democratized luxury. And what's really interesting about this, they have massive brands like Cartier and Pradio and Gucci. And what it is, is it's an app. So it's an app for drops. So it's really, it's about a thousand brands, loads of big companies, lots of sportswear companies as well, but loads of really big mega luxury brands, small quantity drops, and they drop them and the prices fluctuate in real time according to the market. So basically according to how popular they are. So it's really interesting. It's a very complex algorithm, but it's basically, so yeah. if we were on it, if you're, if lots of people are buying that thing, the price will start going up. Yeah. And the idea is that yeah. the people that use it really like it because it's a bit like a stock X in that way that yes. you, you get, you know, customers like it because they think it's fair and anyone in the world, whether you can get to a shop or not or, or whatever, 
whether you know you don't have to be on a vip waiting list you know they've got yeah. about five hundred thousand people on this app can log yeah. in and do it so it feels fair but it's yeah. not it doesn't but it, but it doesn't dent the sense of rarity because the fact is there will only be certain amount of products and only for a certain yeah. amount of time so yeah. it's, it's kind of really interesting thing and and, and you know but, but if lots of people are looking at something but they're not buying and they're not wishlisting the price will actually go down so it's Absolutely, a really, really yeah. kind of interesting concept that sort of talks to me about keep still keeping that sense of things being scarce but it sort of levels the playing field to who can access them so it's a really, really interesting space how you navigate between exclusivity and accessibility at the moment. But anyhow, yeah. There is another one that is called Rally. Yeah, so it's basically the similar, one of a kind of very collectible things that yeah. instead of buying them, you, sh you buy a share and it's a collective ownership of it. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same concept as well. The price fluctuates to a certain extent. And yeah. then you have the, 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 the possibility, it's a little bit more democratized because you can buy only one share. And when the, the, the rally decides to sell it, you would get that plus value, added value to your investment. And yeah. this is also something that matches with the values of uh, Gen Z's where that collectivity and owning something collectively is as part of a community. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, um, I was looking at another app like that yesterday called Otis, which is for cultural collectibles. So it's mm. almost like the collect the collectibles division that Sotheby's have, where it's basically yes. like trainers. You know, they'll sell they'll sell like a, a limited edition like 1972 Nike trainer for like two hundred thousand dollars. Skateboards, oh. you know, like pieces of collectible artwork, and it's that, and you can buy and you can buy these shares, and again, you have an app. So you can kind of see how your portfolio of, of collectibles, whether they're going up or down, you can sell your shares. Mm, exactly. It's really, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I think Absolutely, it's a really interesting yeah. model. I mean, actually, the, the, the list one is really worth looking at because unlike StockX, the interesting thing is that the prices will actually start quite low. Whereas with yeah. StockX, the prices are always going to be high. So you always yeah. get that, you know, it's set by the buyer, the price. Yeah. Whereas with something like the list, I was really fascinated because actually it's like saying either you have to get in early or you watch yeah. it like a hawk. And again, yeah. there's that like level of you have to invest time in it. So I think people yeah, exactly. there's something quite satisfying about having to invest time yeah. in, in trying That's to the hunt down such a thing. Yeah. So I, I remember one of our industrial economy teachers told us the most valuable thing for, for rich people is time. And and the others are the other people are uh, just money, and it's it was fascinating as well to to listen from yeah. that perspective that yeah. people will. So yeah, it's another subject I, I think. Yeah, it is. There's, there's like a, I think there's a whole podcast in talking about <laughs> the reality of sort of what gamification means. You know, loads of people yeah. like gamification with Gen Z. They think it's just like, you know, just noodling around on your phone. Where actually no. some of this gamification comes from a much more there's a much more sort of robust sort of satisfaction yeah. behind this. That's, that's exactly sort of reward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it's really exactly rewarding. So that gamification, if it's just for the the purpose of the brand to uh, to to collect data yeah. or whatever, the the they will sense it and they will call it out as greenwashing or whatever. But the gamification, when done right and when it matches the yeah. the, the goals, it unlocks a new set of behavioral yeah. change and yeah. people are request those and uh yeah which, which have is a number, yeah which is why it's so exciting to have people like andy Koo from the from unmateriality coming into the retail world because actually they understand the psychology of of 
of gaming in, in a way that most yeah. retail people really don't, I don't think. So much stuff to talk about. And yeah, that allows also use the phrase, phrase noodling, which I love. And I haven't used that <laughs> phrase, so that was good. <laughs> so, Hasna, I ask three questions to every guest at the end of each episode. So the first one is, if you had a million dollars, where would you invest it right now? Yeah, so... I. In the first wave of the pandemic, we had such a very bad lifestyle, eating too much. And and then the Peloton came to the UK. And I I loved that that business of going into that intimate area of people and and being part of, of their day and supporting them. And that whole tone of voice, whole community building, those challenges everything that they managed to do to bring people together is super fascinating in in a in a time where everyone is at home and close to the the external world they managed to find a space so i would definitely it's very similar actually to save your wardrobe and and that part where we go back home and and see what we have and reflect so i'm very passionate about what they're they're doing and what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet? Yeah, so that part is, I thought about it a lot and I feel like real estate is at the most frustrating experience that anyone could have, whether it's for renting or buying. I think after, after Save Your Wardrobe, that's what I will be tackling. <laughs> Great. That definitely needs solving. <laughs> And finally, which individuals or brands do you look to for inspiration in your work? Yeah, so that that's a very, very great question because when I started Save Your Wardrobe, the influences are so many. So you start with having big figures like Nathalie Massenet, who managed to create the, the, the most successful e-commerce back in the 2000s. And then you move on and you discover new people. José Nieves from Farfetch was extremely inspiring and motivating when we went through Dream Assembly last year, so their, their accelerator. I feel like as we grow, there are so many leading figures that are moving things and that they are very, very inspiring in how they are approaching the, the industry and the creativity that they and, and, and their success are extremely inspiring. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Huge amounts of insight there. Lots of food for thought. I'd like to thank my guests, Hasna Kuda and Katie Barron. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.